The desire of Titus Women is to invite women around the world to know Jesus as their Savior, Center, and Source. May God guide and encourage you through this message. ourselves in situations we didn't intend, situations that we didn't plan on. And so then I felt like he said, I want you to receive the life I've given you as a gift. Every day is a gift. Even in the last three weeks, since the start of 2023, um, we have had several friends who've been diagnosed with cancer, a young mama who went to Jesus unexpectedly, just in my circles. And um, I've been reminded again, every single day we have is a gift. And the life we've been given, our life, the life, the particular unique individual life we've been given is a gift. And I felt like Jesus said to me, I want you to receive your life as a gift from my hand. And then I felt like he said, for Titus women, I want every single woman to receive me in 2023, the Lord Jesus, not cricket. I want him to receive the Holy Spirit in 2023. And then I want each woman to receive the life that I've given her as a gift. These are days where we're trying to figure out how to navigate. There's lots of fears. There's lots of anxieties. And I felt like Jesus was saying to my heart, I want this year to be a year where you open yourself up to me in new ways and you begin to receive all that I have. So then I thought, okay, well, how do we do that? We receive the Holy Spirit. Now, Titus women is unique. Well, maybe not unique, but I don't know of another women's like Titus women that is really built on this understanding of scripture, that there is a deeper work that Jesus wants to do besides forgiveness and then growing. Most, most of our theology is we get our sins forgiven and then we grow in the Lord Jesus and then we, then we become like him really when we get to heaven. But in every denomination and in the early church and in scripture, John 14 to 16, Acts 2, all throughout the book of Acts, in Paul, and then even in the Old Testament, there is a promise of something more. And sometimes when we, we meet the Lord Jesus and we, we begin to still get hungry, I'm hungry for something more. I'm hungry for something more. And the theology behind Titus women is that Jesus has something more that he wants to give us. He not only wants to save our sins and help us to grow and try our best. He wants us to be recreated, to become the women that he intended for us to be, to recreate us from the inside out, right? So it's, it's called by many different names, full salvation. Um, it's called by entire sanctification, which stresses that we lay it all out. We give ourselves to him all of ourselves entirely. We don't hold anything back. Perfection in love, not perfection in performance, but perfection in love. Now, what does that mean? You say, well, if there's a perfection in love, it's like with my husband. I love him and him alone. I don't love any others, right? I don't have a divided heart. He has all my heart. Matt Albertson has all my heart. That's what perfect love means. So the, the, the Holy Spirit invites us into this relationship with the Father and with the Lord Jesus, where, where God himself is the love of our hearts. So perfect love. It's also called holiness, because when we love the Lord Jesus with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, it results in a life that looks like Jesus, and that's through the power of the Holy Spirit. And Titus women believes that Jesus can do that for us, for every single woman, no matter your past, no matter, no matter your story, no matter your history, 
that God can enter in and we can have an encounter with Jesus that actually transforms us from the inside out. And so that is what spirit-filled living is. So I felt like Jesus said, I want you to know the joy of the spirit-filled living in this life. So not like, oh my goodness, there are more things in 2023 I have to do. I have to read my Bible and I have to pray and I have to serve and I have to fast and I have to do all these things. Jesus said, no, in 2023, I want you to open your arms wide and I want you to receive all of me that I have. Now, you know, in Titus Women, if you've been around here for even a minute, you know that really the way we best describe it is all of me for all of Jesus. Or in um, the words of our Linda Boyette, Jesus is enough, right? There is no other one that we need to meet the deepest needs of our hearts. So that is what living in the spirit is. And what I, what, um, what, what he wants to do for us. And that's what Titus women has professed, right? That's, uh, that's what kind of binds our hearts together that we believe that Jesus can do something deeper. So I felt like Jesus was saying, I want you, I want you to receive all I have. And I want you as a, as a group to learn what it means to love me with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength in this day in 2023 with your particular personality and your particular story and your particular background and your particular interests. Because if you are filled with the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit doesn't make cookie cutter women. He makes women that are made individually, uniquely in the image of God with no mistakes. So each one of us is very different. And when we're filled with the Holy Spirit, we become the person we were meant to be. And there's a joy and there's a freedom and there's a victory that comes because we think, well, I'm rightly related to God, the father. I'm living out of Jesus and I'm filled with this Holy Spirit. So there's a security in my heart to just be, to just be who he created me to be. So that is really what the heart of this Bible study is. What does it mean to be a spirit-filled woman in the ordinary lives that he has us in? And then to allow the creativity and the uniqueness of the Holy Spirit to kind of be poured out in our lives and then through our lives. So here's three things that I want us, I, I have, these are the three goals I have for this Bible study. Um, the first goal is that, um, that we not, for the next nine weeks, that we not compare ourselves to any other woman in the whole world or any other person in the whole world, not even one single time, that you make a covenant with Jesus. I will not compare myself to one woman because what I'm interested in receiving is all of Jesus in my life, my particular unique life for me. And I, this is what the devil wants to say. Well, you don't have that background or that education or that family or, or, or you're not that skinny or you don't have that money or your child's in real big trouble. So you just can't do, you can't live the spirit filled life because look at her or look at her for the next nine weeks. I invite you to make a covenant with Jesus that you will not listen to any of those lies. And that every time the devil tries to whisper, what about her? What about her? Well, you should be doing that. Well, you should, that you say, no, not, not this, not this nine weeks, <laughs> not today, because I'm wanting to receive all Jesus has for me in my life. And I believe that he wants to do something special. He can only do with my life, my story, my personality, my giftings, and even my imperfections. He wants to write a story unique to each one of us. So my challenge is, my challenge is don't let, don't compare yourself one time. <laughs> and I have a trick when temptation comes for my thoughts to kind of go wild. This is what I say. And I tell you, it works. 
I say, Jesus is Victor. Jesus is Victor. And every time, every time I start saying the temptation comes to begin to say, well, what about this? Or what about this? I say, Jesus is Victor. Jesus is Victor. I tell you what, the temptation stops. You don't have to say Jesus is Victor too long before the devil says, actually, I'm going to come back later. <laughs> so here's my advice. When the devil wants to get you to begin to compare yourself, just say, no, Jesus is Victor. He's writing my story. The second thing for this Bible study is that we have to, every woman has to come to grips with her own story, what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then every woman has to come to grips with suffering. And I wish we didn't have to deal with this right from the get-go. But if we want to be a spirit-filled woman, we have to come to grips with this. God has a beautiful intention for us to be the woman he created us to be. And the world is full of suffering. And so is your life. I don't know one single woman whose life is not full of suffering. And so we have to come. And this was one of my questions I was bringing to Jesus at the end of last fall. How do we do this, right? How do we live with this beautiful intention and the intimacy that, you're, that you are promising and then the suffering? And here's what I think he wants us to do for the next nine weeks, that we don't try to fix it. We don't try to control it. We don't try to manage it. We don't try to fix it. Every day we lay our lives before Jesus with all the suffering that's in it. And it might be a diagnosis. It might be um, mistakes from your past. It might be a really hard marriage. It might be that you're a widow. It might be that you're single. It might be your children are causing you pain. Whatever it is, lay it before Jesus every single day and say, Holy Spirit, I invite you into this suffering. I don't have to explain it or understand it. I just invite Jesus into it. I think that's one of the things he's wanting us to wrestle with, because if we could be women who knew who we were and were filled with his Holy Spirit and were content to live in this world with suffering, then ladies, we would have a witness to give to all the other women that we meet. And that's what I think he wants us to do, that we're content with ourselves, we're full of his Holy Spirit, and we're living realistically in this world, not in a dream world, not in a world from 50 years ago, but in this world in 2023. And we're not afraid of it, right? We're embracing this world, this life, because he's embracing us. And now my third thing is for this Bible study that we want to do it together. The other lie that the enemy's going to tell you is you're alone. You're not good enough. Don't tell anyone your troubles. Don't tell anyone your addictions. They're not, they're going to look down on you. Don't tell them your story. You're alone. And I want to say to you, it's not true. Titus women exists for the purpose of saying we are loving Jesus together. There are other women who love him. We are inviting all of him for all of us. You are not alone. And I want to say this to you because you might say, well, I know I'm not alone, but there are women in your neighborhoods, in your work, in, in your families, they feel very alone. And part of our job is meeting here together each Tuesday night, receiving the Holy Spirit in our own lives, and then going out in our neighborhoods and saying, where are the women who feel they're alone? My job is to show them the love of Jesus. So all of this is for the sake of another. So I want to tell you, so these are the three things before we really get into, get into the word. Um, we are, we're not listening to the lies of the enemy. 
We're not comparing ourselves to other people. We're not trying to fix the problems in our lives. We're inviting Jesus in and we are refusing the lie that we're alone. Therefore, if you feel something on your heart, I need another woman to come alongside me, then to hide us women, that is why we are team teaching. There are going to be nine teachers, each woman with a different personality, each woman giving this witness. These are not women who've got it all figured out. These are women who are simply saying, Jesus met me here and I want to share it. That's what I'm sharing tonight. Jesus has met me here as I've wrestled through some of these questions and I want to share it. If you have a pain in your heart, please reach out either through the chat or find a woman you know or say, wait a minute, just email the office, email Kim, text me, say, I, I need to reach out. Ladies, don't, don't believe the lie that we have to do it alone. I think one of the things is we have to resist what the enemy's trying to do. And some of his strategies are to isolate, to pull apart, to compare, to critique, to always have something negative to say, no, no, not for this nine weeks. For this nine weeks, we want to say we're all in and we're all in together. So as I was thinking about Jesus, how do we do this as a Bible study? How do we do this as a group of women? I thought, okay. Well, I came on to Titus. I wasn't at the beginning of Titus. And I thought, I'm going to do a Bible study on Titus, which, to be honest, took some courage because Titus has some things in it that are a little hard to handle, especially in the culture in which we live. So my husband and I, one Sunday afternoon, we, we, we were in our hammocks on our back porch. And I said, Matt, I'm just going to read this out loud to you. I just want to read the whole book and get it in my mind. And um. And as I did, Jesus began to unfold some secrets that I think are really important for understanding what the spirit-filled life is and then how we live it out in the world that he has made for us. So the way we're going to do it is I'm going to read four passages of scripture from Titus. So if you have your Bibles, look at Titus. I'm going to read four passages from scripture, and, um, and then we're just going to talk about them. All right, so this is the joy of the spirit-filled life and loving Jesus together. And this is our first passage of scripture, Titus 1, 1 through 3. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness in hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began. And at the proper time manifested in his word through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God, our Savior. Okay. One of the fun things as I was reading this, sometimes, you know, when we read the introductions, we're kind of like, okay, yeah, 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 let's get on to the real meat of it. But as I was reading this introduction to Titus, I was struck by it. And I, I really think it was the Holy Spirit because all of a sudden, all that I could think of was prepositions. It's all in the prepositions. Okay, now here's a funny little thing. When I was a freshman in high school, I had an English teacher and she was teaching us about the parts of speech. And so she said, now, now class, when you're learning about prepositions, prepositions are direction words. They tell us what we are oriented towards. So think about a mouse in a teacup. A preposition is anything a mouse can do in or around a teacup. He can go in, he can go out. He can go away, he can go towards. He can go under, he can go above. So they're direction words. They're, they're how they're related. And I thought, okay. This is an interesting thing. What are the prepositions in Paul's? Because I think the prepositions here tell us the secret of the spirit-filled life. Now, Paul, remember, was against anti, anti uh, the church, right? He was destroying everyone, met 
Jesus on the Emmaus road. And what happened? He met, he encountered Jesus. And Jesus said, this, I am Jesus. And then what? He opened his eyes so he could see. And when the Holy Spirit comes, he opens our eyes so we can see. And then Paul was transformed from the inside out. He lived a life that was full of the Holy Spirit. And here's what he said. Paul is a servant of God. That's the first thing. He lived under God's authority. So the first preposition, though it wasn't actually stated, is under. He lived under God's authority. Now, anytime we're, the first thing when we talk about the spirit-filled life is we have to talk about this. Are we willing to live under the authority of God? Are we willing to give our whole lives over to him with, with not any hidden places? So sometimes we think, um, okay, I want to come to you. I want to get my sins forgiven and I want to go to heaven. And the father says, oh, I want to offer you so much more than that. But you have to be willing to bend the knee. You have to be willing to say, here's my life. I give it all to you. And Paul, after he met Jesus, was like, yes, you can have it all. And like the little mouse in the teacup, right? His life was reoriented completely and totally reoriented around the person of Jesus. And he was willing to live under God's authority. I've been doing a study on the Beatitudes and I have come, I have fallen in love with the first Beatitude. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who bend the knee. It, the word for, for poor in spirit means crouch like a beggar. Blessed are those who bend the knee before God, who say, it's not, the answer's not in me. The answer's in you. And I'm willing to live under your authority. And then um, I've I've actually been waking up every day and saying, blessed are the poor in spirit. All I have to do today is say, is live under his authority and take my direction from him. That's how Paul understood himself. That's the first mark of a spirit-filled life. The second one, Paul says, is I am an apostle of Jesus Christ. So he's under God's authority and he is sent from the heart of Jesus. I love this. So Paul lives from the heart of Jesus. And I was thinking about this, um, an apostle, to be an apostle means to be a sent one. That's what the word means, to be a sent one. So it's like Jesus calls us into his heart, kind of like a a huddle in football. We watch a lot of football in my house, right? So they're huddling up and they're getting the plans, right? And then from the heart of Jesus going out, right, to the place. Now, I was reading a book by Irv Brenglinger on the church, and basically he said, sometimes we huddle up with Jesus or we huddle up with Titus women and we say, oh, bring on the pizza and bring on, bring on the coats and let's have a party. And we never then go out and share the good news. And he said, the church, that is not the purpose of the church. The church is that we go out from the heart of Jesus into a world that desperately needs him. It's always from the heart of Jesus to another. What I love about this is, Um, when we understand ourselves as a servant under God, the father and living out of the heart of Jesus, we find our security and safety there. And even if we just thought this week, what would it mean for me to live as a maidservant of, of God himself? What would it mean for me to nestle in the heart of Jesus and then live my life out of that? That's the posture he wants us to live in. And then the, the third one is for the sake of another. Now, I love Paul's definition because he's saying for the sake of another. Now, Paul wanted to reach the whole world, right? But how did he do it? He did it by encouraging those who already believed in Jesus. So that's really one of the purposes of Titus. 
that we come together, right? And we learn from Jesus and we, we study the word together and we meet in small groups and we pray together. And then we go out to our workplaces, our neighborhoods, our families, our extended families and share the love of Jesus. So we come together for, for the encouragement and the training. And then we go out for the sake of another. Part of the spirit-filled life is we're not just trying to have our own needs met, but we're willing to say, okay, Father, I'm going to trust you to meet my needs, and then I'm going to live so that another person might know you, whether it's my children or, or my coworkers or the little children down the street. I want to live in such a way that someone else comes to know you. And I love this because the next thing that he says is in hope of the eternal, which God promised eternal life which God promised before time began. I love that. Like when God was planning the creation already, he was saying, I want, I want to live with them and I want them to live with me. And I want that life to go on. I don't want there to be an end to our fellowship. And um, sometimes when we live for another, we find ourselves weary, right? Think of Paul with the church in Corinth. Like probably there was a sense of, okay, I'm frustrated. I keep trying and trying. I keep speaking and speaking and you're not hearing me. And uh, when we, when we live for another, there can be a weariness comes, but then there's the lifting of our eyes, right? We live in hope of eternal life. We are women who live in perpetual hope, no matter the culture, no matter the circumstances, no matter the pain, we are women who live in perpetual hope. That hope and comfort becomes the context the atmosphere that we breathe and the context in which we live, what radiates out of our lives is hope. And then that becomes a source of joy. And how do we do it? What, what did Paul say? Through the preaching of the word, which we have been entrusted with by, from God, our father. So how, how do we go about this through the sharing of the good news of Jesus. Now, whether we do that in an official capacity or whether we just do that on one-on-one or whether we just simply call our friend and say, hey, guess what Jesus said to me this morning? However we share it, that is the means by which we make him known to other people, the means that he gives. Now, ladies, I just saw, I just discovered this. I was looking up this verse, um, um, verse three, at the proper time manifested in his word through the preaching which with which I have been entrusted by the command of God our Father. The word entrusted or committed is the word for faith. And I have to tell you this, it's the word for faith. Um, and this is what I think is so surprising. God the Father and God the Son puts his faith in Paul that Paul would communicate the good news of Jesus. And when we are filled with his Holy Spirit, God, the father and G the Lord Jesus put their faith in us that we would share the good news of Jesus. I, I, it kind of blew me away because of the intimacy. We put our faith in the Lord Jesus and the Lord Jesus puts his faith in us that we would live under the, his authority, that we would be a sent one, that we would live so that another might know him and that out of our lives would become live that eternal hope. And I, I was kind of stunned by that. I thought, oh, Jesus, now the only way we're not going to fail you here when you put your trust in us is if your Holy Spirit is living in us. There is no other way we could bear that pressure unless God himself 
is living in us. And I love the book of Acts because it simply says, have you received the Holy Spirit? And they said, no, we didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit. How do we, how do we receive the Holy Spirit? And they said, ask. I love Luke 11 because it just says, ask and you shall receive, seek and you shall find, knock and the door will be open for you. If a father knows how to give, give good gifts, how much more will our heavenly father give the Holy Spirit? And then there is a sense that out of our lives comes this freedom and this joy because we live, because we live um, in that love relationship with Jesus. Now I wanted I want to show you this because this is a painting, um, and we're going to actually use this for our fall Bible study, which is going to be on the women of John. This is Mary of Bethany. And she's sitting at the feet of Jesus and she's about to anoint his feet with her, with her anointing oil. And you can see, you can see, she knows that he's about to go into a place of suffering and she's bringing her love to him in the form of that little oil. As we sit at the feet of Jesus, as we sit under his protection, under his authority, what we find is a place of contentment, a place of love, a place of freedom. Now, I have two children. Well, I have three children, but I'm going to tell you about two. When my, my, my second and third were born, they were the personalities were as different as night and day. So Maddie, my daughter, she's my middle child. She was the happiest, sunshiniest little baby. And she would sit on a little blanket. She didn't walk till she was 13 months. So like from nine months to 13 months, she'd just sit on a blanket on the floor and talk and smile at whoever came in the door. She didn't really want to snuggle, but she wanted to just smile and talk and pretend to talk and try to talk. And whatever we kind of, when we put her to bed, she went to sleep. She didn't even, she never really, she just was as compliant and loving as she could be. And then we had our, we thought we were such good parents. <laughs> then we had our third, our third son. And from the moment he was born, he was like nervous energy. Like he wanted to be on and, and everything. He didn't want to miss a moment. He was like sitting up and crawling before I even knew what, what had happened. He wanted to be all over the house. He never wanted to be to bed. And finally he learned how to flip himself out of the crib. And I put him in bed and flip out, put him in bed, flip out, put him in bed. And he was not very old, right? So we had hours and hours trying to get that baby to stay in bed because he did not want to miss on and out on anything. It created kind of this, I, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to miss out. Sometimes I think we do that with Jesus. I don't want to let you be in control. I'm too afraid to let you be in control. I'm too afraid of missing out. I don't know what, I don't want, oh no. Okay. Okay. We're flipping out. We're flipping out. And Jesus is saying, if you come into my presence and let me fill you with myself, I can fill you with a joy and contentment that enables you to radiate joy and contentment to those around you. And Jesus has worked for my Isaiah and he is settling him down and he's finding his way. But I think some of us have a spiritual, a spiritual uh, disease similar to Isaiah's where we never want to be under authority. We never want to listen. We never want to do what we're told. And there's a sense of saying, no, when we live in under, under the, the reign of Jesus in our lives, full of his Holy Spirit, what comes is a sweetness. What comes is a contentment. What comes is a joy. And I think that is what, um, how Jesus wants us to live. I think that's how Paul lived. Because think of Paul. Think what Paul did, right? He was in prison. He was on a ship. He went to Rome. He was in Jerusalem. He was at this church. He was at that church. He traveled all over. And where his testimony in Philippians 4 is, wherever I am, I'm content. There's a sense that when we're full of his Holy Spirit, 
our circumstances don't matter as much because we're saying, well, Father, what, what is your will for me here? I trust you. The bottom line for being filled with the Holy Spirit is trust. Will I trust him? Okay, so you say, well, that is fine and good cricket if you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. But in the world in which we live, it's not possible. It's not possible to be a woman who's full of joy. It's not possible to be a woman who's not afraid. Because we live in a culture that is kind of exploded or deconstructed in every possible way. But I want to tell you, I want you to look at, um, at the second part of Titus 1, because here's Paul's culture. So Paul was writing to Titus in Crete, the little island of Crete. And this is how they describe the culture. Insubordinate, they didn't want to live under authority. Empty talkers, deceivers, teaching for shameful gain, liars, lazy, defiled, unbelieving, professing to know God, denying his works, detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. Isn't that funny? This was not a good culture. This was not a place where um, where you would want to be. And this was the place where Titus was charged to not not only that there would be one person who was filled with the spirit and loving, loving Jesus with all his heart, but that there would be a body of believers. The whole book of Titus is how to, how there could be a corporate witness to the goodness of God. And here's what Paul taught, told Titus in um, in one thirteen. He said, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in faith. This is another thing that blew my mind, that they may be sound in faith, because that I think is what Jesus wants to make all of us. To be sound in faith means to have a healthy faith, to be whole, to be well. It's like shalom in the Old Testament. To be sound in faith would be so we see our faith is strong and we're not afraid to trust him. We look to him and say, well, Jesus... I guess you can help me with this. <laughs> You've brought us this far. Um, we're just going to trust you where there's a healthiness and a hopefulness. And well, even if the worst comes, we're safe in the arms of Jesus. This word is used three times in Luke, all in reference to Jesus. He, Jesus is the one who makes us whole. And then it's used in Titus and Timothy that we would think that we would have a healthy faith that we would have a healthy way of thinking. And then out of that comes healthy relating. Isn't that sweet? Wouldn't that be wonderful? I have a healthy faith. My mind is healthy. I'm not struggling with all kinds of fears and temptations. My mind is healthy because it's resting in Jesus. And I have healthy relationships because then out of that comes a healthy relationships and healthy living. Isn't that a sweet thing? I thought, Jesus, if you can do that for us in 2023, that would be the best news ever, that we would be whole, women who are whole, sound, and healthy, no matter what our stories have been. That's what, that's what um, Paul says that Jesus wants to do, not only for us personally, but for us together as a corporate body. And then this is the other thing he said, and this has been really um, kind of the basis for Titus for a long time, that the older women are to invest and love the younger women. And I love this because there's this sense that we are not doing it alone, right? We're not doing this alone. So so what is, um, what are the older women to do? Now, I'm happily now an older woman. Kind of came as a surprise to me, but um, here's what the older women are. They are to be reverent. They are to be women who worship. 
The older women are to be women who live out of place of worship. I love that. Am I a woman who lives out of a place of worship? Because if we live out of a place of worship, what comes out of our life is praise. What comes out of our life is joy. So ladies, if you are over 40, you are an older woman. And so are you living in a place of worship? The second thing he says to older women is don't slander. Don't talk badly about each other. (laughs) Don't say words that are unnecessary, untrue, or unkind. Be careful with your words. And sometimes we want to say, well, our words don't matter. But I am finding with grown children, every word I speak matters. And I need Jesus to make sure there's a guard over my tongue. So I only say words that are speaking blessing and truth and love, right? And that's what the older women are to do. So we're not snippy and critical and hurtful as we get older, but we are speaking blessing on other people. And we're going to talk in a minute about about older women and younger women examples, but the story of Elizabeth and Mary, she's the best example, right? Elizabeth lived in a place of worship. Her whole life had been in a place of worship. And then when Mary came to her, did she critique Mary? Did she have anything negative? Did she she say to Mary, well, it's going to be hard, but I guess God will help you. No. She said, how could this be? This good news. How could it be that the mother of my Lord should come to my house? Oh, blessed are you. And she speaks blessing over the younger women. Ladies, ladies, in 2023, let's speak blessing. If we are receiving the blessing of Jesus in our own lives, then we will be free to speak it. Now, if you don't know the blessing or if you're saying, no, thank you, Father, I don't want the blessing, then you will not be able to speak blessing. But if you are saying, I receive all the blessing of Jesus and all the blessing of the Holy Spirit, then out of your life will come words of blessing for other women. The next thing is not addicted to much wine. I'm believing and I'm becoming convinced that our life story is what we do with the pain we experience. And most addictions, whether they be addictions to control or addictions to substance or addictions to whatever it is, most addictions are ways to deal with pain. Do you know what? I think Jesus says, I have another way. And the older we get, the more pain there is. And Jesus says, I, there is not too much pain for me. You bring your pain to the foot of the cross and there, let's handle it together. And the invitation in my own life has been, bring your pain to me, Cricket. And if you do, you can live free. Otherwise, if you try to navigate and handle it on your own, I can do this. We can do this. And I have tried to do that. Thinking it was spiritual. I've tried to do it thinking it was spiritual. And Jesus says, what you'll end, you will end up a slave to something. It may be your own mindset. It may be your own way of doing things, but you will end up a slave. But if you bring your pain to me and let me deal with your pain, you will live free. Even in the midst of a very painful world. And do you know what? I think that's the best news in the whole world. And then he goes on and says this. He says, teach what is good. And the word good means what is beautiful and what is good and what is true. So sometimes when we have We are women who live in worship, women who are careful with our words, women who are free, and women who are living for another, right? Well, how can I share with her what is good? 
what is beautiful, what is true, how Jesus has helped me. How can I be a woman who's giving a witness? And then what are we supposed to teach the younger women? Now, I'm going to share something with you that I found as I was doing my study on the book of Titus. Um, in, the, in the New King James and in the Greek, they are to teach what is good and to train the young woman in the, in the King James Version and in the Greek, it says to be sober-minded. In most of our translations, it is taken out. I asked a biblical scholar and he said, well, I'll tell you why it's taken out because later in the passage, that word is used in a different way, but that word is used again. So it seems like maybe it was a scribal error. But ladies, I wanna to propose to you that I don't think so. And I'll tell you why. Well, first of all, it's in the text. Teach the younger women to be sober-minded. We are to love him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. That means we're not having someone say, this is what you should do. And we say, okay, and I'll check off the boxes. A spirit-filled life is a life that is creative and free and under the lordship of Jesus. It is not a formula or a pat answer or a quick answer. It is a life of freedom where we use our minds. So we get into a situation and say, wait a minute, this doesn't seem quite right. And then we say, Jesus, what's going on here? That's not right. And we talk to Jesus and he talks to us and says, wait a minute. Young women and older women, we are to be sober minded. This sober minded is used over and over again in, in Titus and Timothy, that we would be people in this culture that are constantly going back to Jesus and saying, do I have a sound mind? Am I thinking about this clearly? I think that's the first thing. How do we think clearly as women? Then the second thing is that we are to love husbands and children. Now, remember in that day, there were no single women. Everybody had to be married, right? Every woman. And maybe you were second wife or third wife, but you were a wife. And um, to love our people, train the younger women to love our people. Now, this is kind of a hard one in these days, right? Because there's a sense of all love requires self-giving. All love requires self-sacrifice. And that's true. So to be a woman who loves her people is going to be a woman who is willing to put another needs ahead of her own. And that's true. And I wish I could say that there were shortcuts to love or sometimes love didn't look that way. But in my experience, every time there's been an opportunity to love, it has meant some form of self-sacrifice. And whether we're loving our old people or whether we're loving our babies or whether we're loving our handicapped or whether we're loving our needy or whether whatever we're loving, it does require us to say, I will put my rights aside so that I can love you well. It's a really unpopular message in our culture right now, but I think that's what love is. Beautiful thing is we don't become less of a person because we love. Just like Jesus didn't become less of a person because he loved all the way to the cross. It was in that, that he became the fullness of who the fullness of redemption happened. Love, love makes human persons. Love makes human persons beautiful. And when we're willing to set aside our own rights for another, we, we find beauty and we find hope and there's a creativity to life. And I believe every person in our whole world is looking for one person who would love them enough to put them ahead of themselves. And we have to be willing, women who are willing to do that, women who are willing to say, yeah, 
yeah, I can put my agenda aside for a while so that you can live. I think Jesus wants us to do that. Now, the next thing is to be self-controlled. Now, this is the same word as that's translated to be sober-minded, to be self-controlled. The fruit of the spirit is to be self-controlled. That we are not self-indulgent. We are not self-pitying. We are not self-focused. We are not self-self-self. But we are self-controlled so that there is a freedom to love another person. It is a work of the spirit. It's not something that we do for ourselves. It is a work of the spirit. We are pure, squeaky clean, as my mama would say, that he has the power to cleanse our hearts, Ezekiel 36, and keep us clean, Psalm 121. And he is our keeper, God. We can be women who have a clean heart. And if someone was checking our phone or our computers or whatever, they would say, yeah, she's, she's, there's nothing there. There's a purity of heart and a purity of mind. That the women would be, the younger women be workers at home. Now here again, this is sometimes used as a control thing, or we all have to be homemakers. But here's, let me, let me tell you this. In this day and age, that was the only option for women. Every woman was a worker at home. I don't think this means we are to be homemakers, though, though I do think all of us are called to be homemakers. I think God himself is a homemaker. He made a home for us in his very heart. Um, there's a beautiful new book by Miroslav Volf that talks about God is the great homemaker. And whatever our calling is, whatever our job is, we are to be a home for God and make a home for God. Um but I think in this day and age, right, there was a sense that whatever work he's given you to do, work at it diligently. Paul talks in other places about women, don't go gossiping around and, and fluffing away your days. Be diligent, be faithful. I think that's what he's saying here. Whatever God's given you to do, do it with all your heart, that you be kind. Isn't that simple? That you be kind. When we're filled with the Holy Spirit, we can live lives that are kind. We're not seeing that very much in our world, are we? But that's what we can do. And then that we would be submissive to our husbands for those of us who are married. Now, I'll tell you a little personal story. When I got married, I was bound and determined that nobody was going to tell me what to do. And I will tell you this. I um, justified it in a lot of ways, but it was how my personality handled pain, right? So I put up walls and I said, okay. The problem was I married the kindest, lovingest, sweetest man you ever met. So when his sweetness met my, my defenses, we ended up having some troubles. Finally, one day, pretty early in our marriage, he looked at me, he said, cricket, everything I do, I think about you. Every decision I make, you're the front of my mind. Why are you always fighting back? And do you know what? My walls began to melt down. And I thought, oh, Maybe I can trust this one God's given me. Maybe I can trust him. Because at the heart of submission is simply, I trust another and so I don't have to get my own way. Now, you may be in a marriage where you got married fully intent to trust and you find yourself um, smushed or controlled. And then I think God says, be of sound mind and speak up. I don't think he always, I don't think being submissive means we don't have a voice. It simply means that we are not women who have to be in control, have to manipulate, or have to um, always get our own way. But we are women to be free to say, no, I can step back. You can step up. I don't have to lead. 
The interesting thing is when we go down to chapter chapter three, he says to the whole body of believers, remind them to be submissive. Men and women, all believers in Jesus, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient and ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, to show perfect courtesy to all people. Can you just can you just think about that? These are now where are they? They're in Crete. Did he say I rally and fight? No, he said to show perfect courtesy to all people. And then this is, I love the way he transitions here. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient. We were led astray. We were slaves to various passions, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating other people. But when the goodness and love of Jesus came to God, our Savior, when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior appeared, he saved us. He saved us, not because of works we had done in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, who he poured out on us. So why do we live submissive lives? Why do we live without quarreling? Why do we live without speaking evil of one another? Because we used to be foolish and he saved us. We used to be disobedient. We used to be slaves. And he, in his loving kindness, has saved us. And not only saved us, he's poured out his Holy Spirit on us so that we could be justified by his grace, right? So we're in a right standing with him. And then we could become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. We could become heirs according to his promise. We could receive all the inheritance, right? My word, receive. Receive all his inheritance in our lives. I think submission is simply saying, like Jesus said, Father, I will be not my will, but yours be done. And I'll submit all the way to the cross. And in that will come a freedom and a beauty. Now, I think I think what God wants to do is he's saying, ladies, I want to pour out my Holy Spirit on you during this Bible study. I want you to inherit all I have for you. And I want you to come alongside another so she might know how good I am and what I can do in a human heart. And then I want your life to be a life that people can look at and say, wait a minute, that person is safe. That person is loving. That person knows God. That person might could help me. And there becomes an openness in other people to say, I don't have to be afraid of that one because she's not all prickly and nervous, and fearful, and angry. Her heart is open wide to Jesus, and her heart is open wide to the world. And there's no fear. And I want to tell you the three examples that Jesus just keeps bringing to mind of women who've done this so beautifully together. The first one, Naomi and Ruth. This is Old Testament. I love the story of Naomi and Ruth. Now, I don't love Naomi because remember, Naomi starts out so grumpy. She's, an, she's a grumpy older woman, right? She, she, the pain of life has been more than she can bear. And so she, she says, I'm going back to God's people. I'm going back. I'm leaving this whole life. I've lost my husband. I've lost my son. I've lost my another son. I'm leaving. And so her daughter's-in-law had seen enough light in her 
that her home was safer than the homes they had known before. And they said, we don't want to leave you. We don't want to leave you. We'll go. We'll go. And she said, I don't, I don't, you can't go. What do I have? Nothing to offer you. And so Orpha turns back, but Ruth says, no way where you go. I'm going to go too. And so guess what Naomi does? She simply welcomes Ruth to come with her. Older women who have known a lot of pain, you might be in a place that simply say, I am going to turn my face to the God of Israel. I am going to turn my face to the God of the Lord Jesus, and I'm going to walk towards him. And I'm going to look around and see if anybody wants to go with me. And I will tell you this based on her story, that as she welcomed Ruth and the two of them walked back into God's story, God began to pour out his love and blessing on both of them. And Ruth becomes the means of Naomi's restoration. What's the end of the book of Ruth? She places her newborn baby into the arms of her mother-in-law. And her mother-in-law's inheritance is restored to her. And it's really about Naomi's inheritance being restored, even as it's about Ruth being written into the story of Jesus. I don't know where you are in your story tonight. You may be a woman who has known a lot of pain, an older woman who has not known a lot of pain. Just start walking home. Start walking home to God and say, I'm opening myself up to you and I'm going to invite anyone who wants to go with me. And I believe that just like Naomi, you will see his goodness poured out. He never turns us away. He never turns us away when we come home. And he not only writes us, he not only restores our lives, whatever the regrets are. We don't have to ever look back at the regrets. He has a future and a hope for every single woman. I love this story. And I love Ruth's willingness to say, well, I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm going to walk in the light and I'm never going to stop. And God says, well, that's enough for me. (laughs) That's enough for me. The story of Elizabeth and Mary is one that I just can't get over because Elizabeth, old, she's followed Jesus her whole life. She's followed the Lord her whole life. She's been faithful and disappointed. And she has decades of disappointment. And then God says, I want to do something for you. And she, she doesn't doubt him like Sarah. She doesn't say, how could this be? She just opens up her heart and says, yes, 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 please, please. And she receives this new baby in her womb. And then what happens? God uses her to be the witness to Mary. Mary, you can do this because Elizabeth's doing it. Now, here's what I think I want to say to to us older women. The the most important story woman in this story was not Elizabeth. It was Mary. God needed Mary to do a job no one else could do and Elizabeth couldn't do. And you may be someone who has been faithful your whole entire life. And then God says, I want you to invest in this one. And I have a purpose for this one that's bigger even than the purpose I had for you. And ladies, this is our opportunity to say, oh, yes, Jesus. Oh, yes. I want all you have for me. And I want to help that one have all you have for her. And I refuse I refuse to compare my story with hers. I just am opening my heart to you and saying, I trust you with my story and I will help her with her Jesus story. No critique, 
No comparison, just saying yes, yes, yes. And sometimes older women, all we have to do is receive the goodness of God and share about it. And younger women say, oh, I will tell you in my own life, I have three women, not that I'm not related to. I have three women that have been through pain similar to mine. And I look at them. They don't know that I look at them. But I I have thought to myself over and over, well, Jesus helped her. Well, Jesus helped her. She lives victorious. She lives with a smile on her face. She never says a grumpy word. He He's helping her with her story. He can help me with mine. They're mentoring me. They're investing in me. And they don't even know it. I probably should tell them. Older women, sometimes all we have to do is receive God's goodness in our lives and keep walking faithfully with him. And it's all the younger generation needs to say me too. But I will tell you, just like Mary needed Elizabeth's witness, the younger generation does need an older generation that says, we believe, hold steady, honey, he's good. One of my mom's sweetest thing that she says to all of us is, honey, you don't know the good things that Jesus has for you. And do you know where she got it? From her mama. And in her time of pain, her mama looked at her and said, honey, you don't know the good things Jesus has for you. And she's, now she looks at me and she says, Cricket, it was true. I had no idea how many good things he'd have. Now he said, don't be afraid. You don't know the good things God has for you. That's what we want to say. We want to be an encourager and a blesser of the next generation. And then this little grandmother and mother in first, in second Timothy one, five and six, Lois and Eunice. And I love this. It's just like one verse given to them. But Paul's writing to Timothy and he says, I'm reminded of this sincere faith, a faith that first dwelt in your grandmother, Lois, and your mother, Eunice, and now dwells in you. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God. I love this because um, Lois, no, Eunice was married to an unbeliever. She was married to a Roman and he did not believe. And it was the grandmother and the mother who said, well, we're going to hold on for our son and our grandson. And we're going to hold on together back to back. As Debbie says, back to back. We're going to hold on together for our children. And you might be an older woman who says, wait a minute. I know of a single mother and she needs someone to go back to back to it with her to stand in the gap for her children. That's going to be me. Sign me up. I'll be your Lois, honey. You be Eunice. I'll be Lois. And we'll claim them for the full purposes of God. And you say, well, I don't have the right family or I didn't do it right. Or I don't have a husband or I don't have a husband who loves you. It's okay. No problem. We'll stand back to back and believe all God has. Do you know, I think there's a real power that comes a real power that comes when two women say, wait a minute, we're going to believe him. We're going to believe him for all his goodness, not only in our lives, but in our family's lives and our children's lives and their children's lives to the next generation and the next generation. And when we stand back to back with one another, all of a sudden, there's a strength that comes. All of a sudden, there's a courage that comes. Spirit-filled life is not something that we do on our own, just Jesus and me. The spirit-filled life is we open ourselves up to God and he pours the spirit in and then he connects us to all the others who are also doing that. And we become part of this body of believers that there's a strength in and there's a beauty in. 
And I think as we close our time tonight, that's what I want us to be thinking on. Jesus, I want to receive your Holy Spirit. I want to be willing to live under your authority. I want to be willing to, to be oriented to you, that to be the direction of my life. And then I want to be someone who comes alongside another. And you say, well, what if I'm a younger woman? What do I do then? And say, you can begin, you're, you can begin to come alongside another as well. That's, that's kind of the whole model of Titus women, that we come along, we come alongside each other and together, wherever we are in our story, together we follow Jesus, together we walk with him, together we enter his presence, together we pray. When it, Kim was telling me about a Bible study, she did the Salvation Army, and she said sometimes we come in and there'd be people just off the streets and people just out of rehab and all kinds of crazy. She said an older woman who showed up every single week, and I would drive her home, and we would talk, 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 and she would encourage me, and she would pray over me, and she would tell me, okay, this is Kim. This is a good suggestion for next time. And Kim, who didn't have that in her family then, was like, okay, this is what we do. And then together together they gave the witness and then together there was a strengthening in Kim so that now Kim is teaching the Bible all over the place right there was a strengthening that came because one older woman said I'm going to stand with that one that's what I think he's calling us to do receive all his goodness and then begin to share it with those around us Lord Jesus I thank you that you make yourself available to us through the Holy Spirit in fact, you said, it's a good thing that I'm going away because I will send my spirit and he will fill you with my presence from the inside out. And you will know an inner comforter. You will know an inner counselor. You will know an inner witness. You will live in a safe place because I will live in you. That is the promise of the Holy Spirit. And out of that relationship then comes a freedom to live with a joy that only comes from Jesus. So Jesus, this year, 2023, wherever we are in our story, we want to receive you. We want to receive your Holy Spirit. We want to wrap our arms around the life you have given us and say, thank you, Father. I don't understand it all, but I receive it as a gift from you, and I invite you into every part of it. And Jesus, if we have any fear or any places we don't trust you, I pray that we would hear this word. Every decision I make, I make with you on my heart. You're written on the palm of my hands. You can trust me. Jesus, let us know how safe it is to trust you. We worship you. We give you our time of worship and we love you in Jesus name. Amen.